Welcome back, everybody. I, I have a distinct pleasure and an honor to speak to somebody who we've all been watching for the last uh, number of decades. Uh, we, we won't get into specifics uh, here. Uh, it's Mr. Casey Sander. Please welcome. Welcome. Well, thank you, Alan. And it, it has been 40 years in LA. Knock on wood. Uh, it's it's great. I mean, you've you've had uh, a really really wonderful career, which I want to ask you all about in a few minutes. Um, you know, looking at your IMDb credits, I live on IMDb Pro. That's that's kind of my my go-to, and I see 138 there. After this, not that it makes a difference, but you'll have another one. So you'll you're on your way to 150, which I'm sure you'll get there very very quickly with your projects. Well, yeah. Well. Between um, uh, an extensive uh, commercial background and then radio and uh, as far as voiceovers and so forth, we're over 300. So uh, yeah. it's, it's um, it, it, it just adds up, you know, it's yeah. just I'm very I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. Well, there is there is obviously an element of luck in it, but uh, usually in this industry, if you've been around for that long and you're that successful, it has something to do with talent as well, which yeah. you have a lot of. I again, I've watched you uh, in many things, including you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Silicon Valley, so I <laughs> I love your scene on Silicon Valley. Uh, it was just well, not one scene, your your episode that you were on. Yeah. So. Um, you get to see a real diversity because you're a wonderful dramatic actor who has a very strong presence. And, you know, we've seen you in 16 blocks. We've seen you in a lot of places where you play really strong characters. The, you know, don't mess with me. And you kind of, you kind of look like Steve Austin's, you know, Cold Stone, Steve Austin's older brother. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that energy. Uh, and by the way, <laughs> right now, I, I hope you don't mind me saying, but with a beard, you kind of remind me of Christopher Lloyd, so <laughs> so there's that, you know, energy there as well. There you go, perfect. Yeah, I've you're there's um there's more more than one person has said that, and I actually was shopping at Home Depot in Thousand Oaks, California, and ran into Christopher Lloyd and oh, wow. uh, Michael Lessack. Okay. Is uh, was our original director on Grace Under Fire, and Michael Lessack had done a lot of Taxi, mm -hmm. and and he talked to me about uh, Chris Lloyd, and I'd never met him before, and we our paths just never crossed, and I happened to run into him at Home Depot, and I introduced myself, and uh, and I said, you know, I. I just have to tell you, there's an awful lot of people that think you and I look alike. And 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 in person, if you put us right next to each other, we don't look alike, you know, and maybe the camera does something. But and he looked at me and he goes, I don't see it. <laughs> and I and I I said, neither do I. And I wished him well. And off we went. So he was a very nice man. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, but you're you're doing a really good, <laughs> good imitation. So um, there's there's definitely something to it. Although yeah. speaking energy wise, <clears throat> uh, and oh my God, his name escapes me right now. I'll come back to this because you remind me of another uh, amazing actor that you know with uh, with your beard. When he has a beard, there is that same kind of uh, energy coming through. I'll come back to this anyway. So. Uh, as I was uh, uh, kind of saying, we've seen you in a lot of dramatic parts, but then we see you in tremendous uh, comedic parts, and it looks like you're having a lot of fun. You know, Big Bang Theory, <laughs> you know, playing playing the dad is really really fun. I, I enjoy those uh, those episodes. So uh, I know you started out, and we'll come back even earlier to uh, to how you got into acting. But when you decided to become an actor and you came to LA. Uh, I know you started at Groundling. So did you start out more in comedy and then drama naturally kind of uh, that's where the industry put you? Or where, where did you want to be yourself? Well, I, um, I came 
to LA, uh, not knowing anybody and not knowing anything really about the industry. I had, I had uh, fallen into acting in theater in college. And uh, actually it's a, a crazy story, but I was going to go into uh, broadcasting and I thought sports broadcasting because my background is I was a professional baseball player uh, for the California Angels in their minor league system. And then I got hurt, I got released, and I got a scholarship to go back to college and play football. So I, when I was in college, I took an acting class thinking it would help me loosen up on the microphone. And um, I was doing the play-by-play for the college basketball team, which, by the way, we won the national championship that year for Division II, University of Puget Sound. And I, one of the requirements for this acting class was that you had to audition for a play to find out what the nervous audition process was like. So I auditioned for this play with no intention of being in the play and I got cast and I got, and then to top it all off, it was waiting for Godot and I was played lucky, this man, servant, uh, in, and I was, uh, at that time I was a six, three, 235 pound running back mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, half man, half horse, whatever lucky is. Right. And so I, uh, I I had no intention of doing this and my I'll never forget my mother said honey when a door opens walk through it you never know what's on the other side and I said mom I'm not an actor I'm I'm a I'm a running back you know my goal was to try to uh, become a better and better football player and anyway I fell into acting and it was perfect because all my life I'd been an athlete and theater and acting is very much like athletics. The camaraderie of the team is just like the camaraderie of the cast. To be a good actor, you have to be disciplined. To be a good athlete, you have to be disciplined. You have to go to the weight room. You have to do your training when no one tells you. As a performer, as an actor, you got to break down your character. You got to memorize your lines. You've got to figure out that the um, uh, little nuances that make it come to life. And that's discipline to put your time and energy into that. It's the same thing as athletics. Opening night jitters, same thing as pregame jitters. Getting that first laugh or walking out on the stage, that's just like getting the first hit in a game. I mean, it is so similar. And then the joy when the production is over or the game is over and the camaraderie once again with, I just, it just fit. It just fit. And so in college, I did uh, multiple plays over a period of years and I really found I enjoyed it. I loved it. And some old guys that the college used to hire or offer roles to them. They were older gentlemen, professional seasoned actors, um, equity members who would come to the college to play the older characters. They just didn't want to put a college kid in a bunch of gray makeup and so forth, you know, put hair on it. And these older gentleman suggested that I do something with this. And I, I listened to them because they were old, wise, had spent 30, 40 years as performers themselves. And uh, that was the drive that made me think maybe maybe I should do something with this. And the next year I, I taught high school English and I coached college football. And then at the halfway point of that year, I decided I was going to drive to Hollywood or Los Angeles and give it a shot. And that's how it started. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's, it's amazing. And there are a number of things that 
uh, I applaud you for. First of all, you listen to your mom and you listen to uh, to other actors, um, which again, you know, the the kids uh, and I certainly remember myself being younger. You know, listening to adults was not necessarily something that we were inclined to do. So the fact that you did is, is speaks highly of you. Um, I I did just you know I know I know that you played shortstop. Uh, so I, I was trying to figure out. Uh, I'm sure people told you that at, that at that time you're pretty big for a shortstop. Yeah. Uh, so you know I it's the you're running back on the shortstop. <laughs> that that is an interesting uh, combination. Well, I was just just before the Cal Ripken era and yeah. and A Rod and you know those guys. Believe it or not, Alex Rodriguez I think is six four and and Cal Ripken six four or six five. When I played pro baseball, the idea, the mindset was still, um, you know, you used to have your second baseman and your shortstops up the middle were always Latins or they were littler, smaller individuals. And, and they would sacrifice the power as the hitter for a great fielder. Well, there's no reason a guy 6'4 can't be a great fielder if he happens to be a terrific uh, athlete. And, and therefore, you're getting the power of his bat. You're getting a better hitter, per se, than a little Punch and Judy guy. And um, uh, so when I got into pro baseball, they immediately converted me to uh, first base and outfield because they were looking for more power. And unfortunately, when I played pro baseball, I suffered three major injuries in three years. I got hit right in the eye, shattered my orbit. That that hurt my first year. The second year, I tore a piece of knee cartilage. That took care of that year. I broke a bone in my back in a collision at second base in winter ball. That kind of damaged my third year. And then um, I was very, very fortunate. I got hired by an independent team in Seattle, where I'm from, called the Seattle Rainiers. And I, I went to Seattle to play. And while I was there, there was a football coach who had recruited me out of high school and I turned all the football scholarships down because I wanted to play pro baseball. And in those days, um, if you took a college scholarship for football, it lowered your draft status for baseball and for the pros because you had a bargaining chip. Yeah. If they drafted you, they knew at that time, $20,000 or so was a college education, you know, 20, 30,000. Uh, and so that gave you a value. And so if they took you, they would knew they had to bargain against that. And so in my case, I gambled and I turned all the scholarships down. And then, um, and then uh, luckily I was drafted. I was drafted in the 10th round by the Angels and I signed and I went off and played pro baseball. It didn't work out for me, but in the long run, it worked out that a gentleman named Paul Walruff, who was this head football coach at this uh, beautiful little uh, Ivy League type school called the University of Puget Sound, little 3000 student on campus, wonderful Division II school, uh, called me up and said, uh, I came to your game last night. And I was like 0 for 4 and a couple of weak ground balls. And I'm, I'm sorry, coach, you know, it's nice to hear from you. He goes, I have a full ride if you want to come back to college and play football. He, I know baseball's not working out. And I just, it was a lifeline for me. It was because pro baseball was not working out. When I got hit in the eye, I never hit well after that. I, my minor league batting average was in the low 200s. And so when he offered me a chance to get my education and go back and play a sport that I loved, football, even though I'd been away from it for three years, I jumped on it. And uh, it, it was the best decision I ever could have made, uh, not only to, to be part of Paul Walruff's life and make great teammates and friends, lifelong friends, but it got me into acting because that's the road that 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 took. And I never would have, you know, you never think something like that's going to happen. Right. So that's where it started. Now, back to your original question. Mm -hmm. When I came to L.A., 
I became a, I was a bartender in Seattle. I, I had learned the craft the, of uh, mixology, and I took that with me to L.A. I got a job right away, tending bar, and uh, I worked six nights a week for about four or five months in order to bankroll myself. Uh, I then went to a normal four four or five shift schedule. Uh, I did that for seven years. And I kept a bartending job, but I started to pick people's brains. How do you do this? How do you get into this business? And so on and so forth. And one day, and this is a crazy L.A. story, but there was a girl who had dropped out of my college. Uh, She was going to be an actress. And I happened to contact her in Los Angeles. And she said, my agents want me to do a scene for them. I'm not getting any work and they want to see me perform. Would you do it with me? And I said, sure. So we did a little scene from uh, Where's Tommy Flowers Gone? And um, I got a call from her agents and they said, we'd like to sign you. And I said, oh, that's fantastic. What about Ruth? And they said, well, we're going to let her go. And I, not knowing the business, I felt like I stole her job. Yeah. Like I stole her. And she called me up after she got the news, and she was very happy for me. And I literally was almost in tears because I felt like I stabbed her in the back. Mm-hmm. And she just shook her head and she said, You know, you are so green. I'm a girl, you're a boy. We will never go out for the same part. We will never, ever uh, be confrontational that way. And and she said, Casey, you just don't get it. And I and I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But she was kind enough to wish me well. And through those agents, they recommended an acting class. I started in that class and I stayed with that class for almost four years, uh, sometimes a couple times a week, sometimes once a week. But during that class, a friend of mine, uh, Tom Chalice from Pittsburgh, from Beaver, Beaver Falls, Beaver, Pennsylvania, Tommy came to me and he said, I saw a group last night called the Groundlings and you belong there. You've got to go check this out. So I, the Groundlings, if you don't know, the Groundlings is an improv theater uh, on Melrose Avenue. And um, the original Saturday Night Live cast had Lorraine Newman. Lorraine Newman was a groundling. And uh, the school itself puts on, they have uh, shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Terrific uh, teaching, excuse me, terrific teaching school of the art of improv. And the amount of people that have come through there is astronomical. But I happened to hook up with a group that was coming through. Uh, Phil Hartman was already established. um, But in my group was my dear friend, John Lovitz. And John and I and um, this particular little group that I hooked up with, there's like 11 incoming students in the in the. Oh, what was it called? The advanced class. I got I got thrown into the advanced class, had a great scene night, but I didn't feel like I knew what I was doing that well. And they said, we we'd like you to take this class over. And I said, honestly, I want to go back one level. I want to go down to the intermediate class because I'm 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 really good at on game night on scene night I just rose up to the occasion you know it's the old sports thing you know like it's game day the juices are flowing but I was a beat behind everybody I was a beat behind I knew I was a beat behind the the joke would come out of there the ideas would come out of them like this and I was a split second behind and I knew that that was training And so I went back to the intermediate class, took that class, then moved back up to the advanced class. And as I did that, I eventually moved into this group called the Sunday Company, which was the not the main company, but the Sunday Company. 
And in that group, 11, 11 out of the 13 or so people that were in that group, including my good friend, John Lovitz, but when, went on, 11 people out of that group went on to make a living in the business. And now that's, that's, that's really something. And uh, I happen to have a great group. I mean, I've Jake, Jay Kogan, who uh, Jay Kogan has about seven or eight Emmy awards, but as a writer, the Groundlings was great for training people, but not all of them went in front of the camera. Many, many, many went to writing. Don Woodard, Jay Kogan. Uh, uh, Jay, Jay was one of the original Simpson creators. He's got Emmys from Frasier. He's got Emmys from, I don't know, five or six different shows as a writer, as a writer. John Lovitz and myself uh, stayed in front of the camera. Uh, Mindy Sterling was in that group. Mindy uh, played uh, Frau Brucker, not Frau Brucker. Oh, gosh, what's her name? Anyway, she was in the Austin Powers movies, uh, the crazy German woman. Yeah, uh, that's Mindy. And so we all came along. Kathy Griffin was in that group. Uh, so we all came along in this one little package. And then from there, that was where you would have scene nights and industry nights and you would have Sunday company nights. And um, that was a place where I got exposure to casting directors. They would come to the shows and I never looked like um, your typical comedian per se. I, I kind of had a, well, I'm losing all my hair now, but I kind of had this leading man type look that uh, could do comedy. And that's a hard nut to fill. Um, and um, so for me, I never looked at it. Uh, I, 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 I was not perceptive enough to say, oh, you know, this is a great combo. I just wasn't that way. I've always been an extrovert. I've always been funny. I've always enjoyed comedy and the ability to laugh. Uh, I just happened to be 6'3", 230 pounds, you know, and now I'm, you know, not that same football size, but uh, I, I've always been like that. So that's how the, that's how the, and the training, if you haven't, for those that are watching this, if you've never taken an improv class or been involved in improv, please, please do yourself the favor of doing it because everything is improv. Everything, the way we live our lives every day is improv. What we're doing right now is improv. But what the one thing that the groundlings instilled in me was trust your instinct. Because if you're an improver and you don't trust those crazy thoughts and those crazy words that are bubbling up inside that you you're going to now put out there yeah. you're lost you're a beat behind you're two beats behind the joke is stale because it it should have landed two beats ago and improv improv and the groundlings training made me trust my dramatic instincts as well so as an actor it's a it's really really important to when you break down your characters, when you read those initial lines, those first thoughts that you have are the honest thoughts, the most important thoughts. Those are the ones you have to trust. And those and that, that is improv in itself, is you have to trust because when you're on stage with no script, and this person all of a sudden says something. And of course, in the ground lanes, you know, never say no, never deny, add information, right? And that's trust, trust. Here it comes, bing, bang, bing. And that's, so that's, that's where it started. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know uh, from the improv perspective, I know how, how important that is because that's where my training started. My training started at Second City in Chicago. Um, oh. 
and I did I did a year plus at Second City, went the A through E plus some other programs. Uh, but that idea of just being open and saying the first thing that comes to mind, that took some getting used to because my the writer in me uh, is trying to plan things out. I'm going to uh, put this hook in. I'm going to plant this seed. I know where it's going. You can't do any of that. So it took me a while to just be open and be accepting and be there. And whatever thing comes into my mind goes. And I use that to almost get into the conservatory program uh, at Second City because I don't sing. I love singing. I am not good at it. And I thought, you know what, why not? I'm going to audition for the Second City, the uh, musical uh, improv conservatory program. Mm -hmm. So I went to audition. I'm sitting there, you know, before it. And I kind of asked the uh, the young lady that's uh, that's taking everybody's names. I said, you know, what's going to be the kind of the, the process? She said, well, you'll get on stage. They ask for your name, you know, things like that. And then they'll give you a name of a celebrity and you have to come up with uh, with a song on the spot they'll uh, have some two-person scene and a three-person scene. Okay, so she gave me the basic parameters. And I'm a poet, uh, I'm a songwriter, I'm a lyricist. So I'm like, let's do this. I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm kind of coming up with, you know, uh, little songs for Barack Obama, for kind of all sorts of celebrities, politicians. And in my head, I keep on, you know, that instinct keep uh, keeps on saying, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. I'm like, stop, stop, I'm writing this song about, you know, Barack Obama, or I'm writing this song about, you know, I don't even remember the other celebrities, but uh, so I, I write this and I keep hearing it again, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt. I said, okay, fine, I need to get this out of my head. I'm going to write Brad Pitt. So I wrote the thing about Brad Pitt. I moved on to other celebrities. We get on stage, you know, introduce yourself. What's your favorite sandwich? Uh, and then they kind of talk to each other and they're like, okay, so we decided the name of the celebrity. You have a few minutes to write a song, Brad Pitt. So Brad Pitt was the name that they wanted me uh, to write the song on. And I am standing there laughing to myself, thinking, wait a second. You know, I have some intuitive abilities. I know that. But this is improv. Does that mean that I cannot be good at improv because I'm an intuitive? <laughs> <laughs> Then it's like, then my problem became is that they only wanted four uh, lines and I wrote eight. So I needed very quickly to kind of put the things together because the punchline was at the end. So that, that was my thing. But the whole idea of trust the information that comes, that has played out uh, throughout my life, not just acting career. So I resonate with uh, what you just said tremendously. Yeah. Well, uh improvisational singing uh, I did as well at the Groundlings and one of the things that we used to have a group called the, the Mint Cadillacs which was four white guys in really bad mint green tuxedos with the Mr. T jewelry set that we bought at the Halloween store Perfect. and we came out and we and we would do a Temptations takeoff but the difference between the Second City uh, situation and our situation is you would lights, you'd get a suggestion from the audience, lights down, lights up, here we, here we come on stage, and you had to create it, no writing, you had to create it truly improv on the fly. And some nights it killed, and some nights we weren't real good, <laughs> but, you, but you had to trust, you had to trust. Yeah. And you have um, to, and you know, the, the other uh, thing that is so important about improv is you have to listen. Mm -hmm. And listening is a real key to being a good actor because it's not just about, you know, uh, the, the old, when people first start out, I got to memorize my lines. I got to memorize my lines. Yes, you do. That's part of the business, but you got to hear what the other person is saying, because you must be engaged and hear that, because that dictates how you say your line. And so in improv, you have to listen, because you have no idea 
what is coming out of the mouth of the person across from you. And that is what makes really good improv and really good acting is two people in a conversation where they're listening. Yeah. Uh, I started playing improv games with my kids. So, you know, when we're in the car and we're driving and it's, it's a long drive, it's improv games. So that's, that's kind of, I got them to it. And then they started taking some classes and they're already, already ready because they know all these games. I know, I think you have a daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, have you have you done uh, improv games with her? Um, n not, not really. Uh, yeah. We've never, I have a son and a daughter, and uh, they we've never uh, done that. Although my daughter did go into the business and uh, became an actress and a model uh, for a while, and she's dropped out of the business now and gone into sales. But... She had a nice little career for a while, um, more on the modeling end of it than the acting end. Um, she's done a few things, but uh, nothing major. Um, but but the, um, the idea of uh, children with improv is terrific and there's and there's some really good uh schools i or classes i guess i would call them that i i have heard of in la i i personally never went that route with kids or anything but i have some friends who have done that and their kids absolutely love it because it's it's playtime it's playtime uh my my kids certainly enjoy it and then they you know they get into accents because i love accents i do we we irritate my wife so it that also is a joy in itself <laughs> yeah yeah um going back to improv for a second um or not improv we're talking about improv going back to uh to silicon valley uh, uh -huh. the, the some of the scenes are it seemed like uh i don't know how many times i would break during the during the taping of the scene when all of uh you know, Richard was, I'm Richard, I'm Richard. And then everybody started to say their name. Like, this is such a great game. So I know uh, the actor, you know, Middle Ditch, uh, he is wonderful uh, improviser. Uh, I I don't know if you saw uh, the special that he and Ben, uh, not Ben Schwartz, uh, is it Ben Schwartz? Yeah, I think Ben Schwartz, uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz, where they do long, uh, long form improv. Uh, they're outstanding. So going to that silicon valley episode did you have any chance to uh, to improv because you were working with a lot of people who are into it? you know i did not and, nope. and and it was very interesting to me when we shot that show um yeah. that was the third episode of the entire run of the show and they had and i this is the same thing that happened when i did home improvement uh, years ago, we did. I also did the third episode of that show when it first started, and it's interesting when you do a show like that because they don't know what they have yet. It hasn't aired. It hasn't. The audience hasn't responded. So you're you're really trusting the words on the page, and you're really trusting that what you're doing is correct. And it's going to work. And it's funny. Now, the the difference between those two shows is uh, Home Improvement was shot in front of a studio audience, mm -hmm. and Silicon Valley is what they call single camera comedy, where you you shoot it with no studio audience, and so your jokes land in a vacuum. Uh, there's nobody can laugh on set, so you know this is funny. Here it comes, boom! There it is, but nobody's laughing. But, you know, you, you you know, it's a joke. You got to believe it's a joke and so forth. But no, I got no. No improv uh, on Silicon Valley really trusted Mike Judge, uh, who was the head writer on that at the time. And uh, uh, Alec Berg also. But Mike, that was Mike's uh, particular show. And uh, the director of it um, was terrific. And she and Mike, we'd, we'd do a run through of the scene. And I really felt like I knew this character and I knew how I wanted to portray this guy. Mm -hmm. And I got, and this, this is when you know that your instincts are right and that your delivery is working and so forth is I had, I got no notes the entire 
three or four days that it took to shoot it, I would, you'd do a take and you'd look over and they, you know, and that, and keep going, you know, and do more and carry on. And so that as a performer, that's what you hope for because you, it, it's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a director coming in and saying, we need a little more of this or a little more of that. That that's the reason, you know, the third eye that's out there. You see it one way, maybe the person you're in the scene with sees it another way or or very close. But the third eye, the third person that sees what the camera is seeing and uh has that uh that feel of uh you know, remember the director, the director is in charge of the entire circle the beginning, middle, and end. So, you know, you don't always, in the business, you don't always shoot uh, in sequence. So the first day you go on the set, you may be filming the last day, uh, the last portion of the show. And you have to shoot the last first and the first last and, and so forth. Uh, it take, sometimes it takes a little while to get used to that because you've got to lay out, you've got to figure out how you're going to lay out your character from the beginning, the middle, the end. And yet your first day on the show, on the set, you're shooting results, let's say. Well, you haven't done anything to create those results yet. So you have to go backwards to create those, you know, set that all up. In my case, um on on silicon valley uh they were they were very open to the character that i created and uh they felt that that guy uh was absolutely what they saw in their writing and their preconceived ideas of who this guy was mm -hmm. so uh that's the part of uh, performing acting that i really love is i love to bring words to life and there's a, a saying i heard you know you put skin on words mm -hmm. and that that is what i do i put skin on words i keep i keep rewriting the uh the title of this episode uh it used to be trust your instinct now it may be skin on words um I'm, i i keep uh, i keep trying we'll see <laughs> well the um, the written word mm -hmm. is fantastic when the when when it's well done and well crafted and uh, comedy is tricky comedy changes uh, even though it's written the dynamics of the people for example on Big Bang Theory uh, I'm this much taller than than uh, the other actors and innately there's a joke there it's funny without saying a word if if uh, myself and uh, uh, Howard Wolowitz are standing next to each other it's a sight gag and the 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 written word of comedy is when you put skin on that word, on those jokes, on those lines, just talking back and forth to each other, the what the audience sees with those two humans adds to that. Mm -hmm. It's a bonus. It's, it is so funny sometimes without a word being said just the dynamics of the difference in the in the two individuals that are putting the skin on the words and for me i get a big kick out of of like f uh, with silicon valley um i saw that character i knew that character and then to go on the set and say and this is the trust situation i know this guy i know who he is I know, uh, I know how he would react. So when uh, Thomas is playing this character that he does, and now don't forget, I've never seen the show. It hasn't been on yet. 
I don't know Thomas. I don't know his character. I don't know all the little foibles and little insecurities and, and the little hitches and glitches that he has. So as a performer, I know where I want to go and what I want to do. But now he's layering in that that character and and the words that I read that he was going to say were much better once he got a hold of them. Mm -hmm. And that's the skin on words. That's that's the human aspect of it. And boy, did that help me. You know, that's that's that that's that. being in the moment and listening and trusting and going, I never saw that word said. And that's the other thing is the surprise is everybody interprets things differently. I read his dialogue. I interpreted it this way. By the time it came out of his mouth, boy, was it different than what I thought it might be and better. And that just as a improver or a performer, when you hear it said that way, well, that takes you to a different a different place and you go yeah all right yeah so that's 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 that was a joy yeah and uh big bang i think is big bang multicam it, it looks yeah. like a multi yeah. yeah so uh do you and that live audience yeah yeah do you prefer because again as as an I- improviser do you prefer uh to be in front of an audience uh is that as as opposed to a single cam? I do. I do prefer that. And uh, I think that goes back to um, a ni- cutting your teeth in the theater. Yeah. Is you, I, you can hear the audience breathing, you know, in a theater, in a good theater. When you're on stage, uh, whether it be uh, drama or comedy, you can feel them. You can feel them just out past the, the arch and um, the groundlings, uh, the improv show was a 99 seat equity waiver theater. And there's nothing like, and it's always a sellout and there's nothing like uh, landing a bomb and getting 99 people to explode all at once. And that, that's a rush. That's a, that's, that gives you the energy. Uh, Comedy, comedy is, in my mind is just so much better in front of a live audience as you spend all week rehearsing it. You know where the laughs are, you know uh, uh, what's going to happen. And the joy of show night of landing that, that uh, killer line with a 300, usually the studios are right around 300, yeah, uh, in a in a taping, uh, mm-hmm. and to get the response from them is just fantastic. And the other thing is the there's unex there's always unexpected laughter, and and uh, with a studio audience, and because you may be and this is another thing that takes a little time to get used to as a as a professional is. You're on stage uh, right next to the other actor, but the studio audience is looking at monitors. They're looking at the stage, but they're looking at monitors. And you have to understand the technical end of cutting from camera to camera and what they're seeing. Now, you're, there may be a laugh that you never got all week off of a reaction that the camera caught when they looked at the other character. Mm -hmm. And all week your timing has been this, but you have to hold, you have to hear that audience. You have to hold, you have to know when to hold. And you don't know when you're on stage, when you're performing in front of a live audience, what those camera shots are. You have to feel that. Yeah. And uh, and that's something that takes a little bit of practice. And uh, there's really, honestly, no way to learn that except to do it, to get lucky, get a show, get out there and, and get your feet wet. And 
that's 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 um, that that again is part of being in the moment, trusting and and you know keeping that that ear open to the audience. Yeah, I I I have not been on a multicam yet, uh, but I did when I went to LA. I'm in Chicago, so when I went to LA uh, last year or the year before that, we went to a taping of a man with a plan, uh, which is a multicam, and that was my first time being in the audience and understanding how that whole dynamic works and looking down, and then you know you as the audience they're doing their best to ensure because there are people there that not only feed you but there are people there to entertain you there are people there to tell you what the rules and guidelines are and we see the whole we see the whole stage so you know in that particular show you see the whole outside of the house you see inside the house you see all the rooms you see where the setup is you see the four cameras that are moving it is a really really fascinating experience and i found uh, that I grew tremendously as an actor, you know, God willing, I'll get to that position where I'll be in a multicam, but now I have a much better feel of what that is like just from being in the audience. Yeah, it, it, and um, it's fun for people to come to a show because yeah. they walk in a studio and they, all of a sudden they go, oh my gosh, there's the kitchen, there's the living room, there's the outdoors, there's a driveway and yet here's a bedroom and and uh it's they they uh if a show has been on air for a while they feel like they kind of know the place they know the how because that's the the magical thing a little bit about television is you allow it into your home so you every night uh, Grace Under Fire, Home Improvement, or Big Bang, or whatever I did, mm -hmm. I'm in your living room. And then, excuse me, they come to a set and they realize, well, wait a minute, you know, th th this is all one big long uh, mm -hmm. stage, mm -hmm. and the cameras move and the people move, and, and uh, it's it's a eye-opening experience that it, in a strange way, it's not real. You, um, you have your preconceived ideas of how the house must look and so forth. And that, let's say there's an upstairs in the house. Well, there's, right. not a, there's not an upstairs on a TV set. So the upstairs is this swing set way over here. And... Uh, but the, the audience always brings the, the good thing about uh, live TV that I like like that is it's a hybrid of theater and and uh, television. It's a hybrid in that you have the live audience to give you the live feedback. And I much prefer comedy uh, shot with a studio audience. Much prefer it. I understand. Um, you've worked on you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of shows, a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of films. Is there an actor that stands out from your experience that from a pure acting perspective, you thought, okay, that's, that's there. I did, I did, uh, some of Tom Hanks's early work. I did the movie Dragnet and I did the movie Punchline. Yeah. And I I spent a lot of time uh, with Tom, uh, about a month and a half it took to shoot uh, the Punchline uh, club sequences. Mm -hmm. And many, many different, if you're not familiar with the movie, uh, Mine was Sally Field and Tom Hanks, and it was mm -hmm. uh, a stand-up comedian. It was a story of a comedy club and so forth. And uh, there was a scene um, that Tom Hanks had to do. And this, this was still pretty early in my career. It was 1987. Mm -hmm. And um, I, 
I had been in town seven years. I had done my little share of work at that time. Not, uh, not a great deal, but I was growing and the roles were getting bigger and bigger and so forth. But I, ha I got a chance to watch Tom do this breakdown scene. Now, now Tom, you know Tom is a comedic actor, right? Well, there's nothing comedic about Saving Private Ryan and so forth. So, so uh, this was a and 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 when I did Dragnet, I knew Tom as a comedic actor. I, I had one scene with him there, and but I never knew him as a dramatic actor. And I watched him in the course of a day. And a day and a day on that film was probably 10 to 11 and a half hours, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And I watched him have to do this breakdown scene over and over and over and over and different angles, different camera shots, different uh, uh, intensity and repeating the scene as close to word for word. Now, th this is another thing that you learn in the business uh, in a situation like this. He has the freedom uh, to, uh, if his emotions are taken in one way or another, he may change a word here or there and, and uh, to keep it real for him. But I watched him do that. And I learned as a young actor that and uh, Tom and I are about the same age, but I learned as a young actor uh, watching him do the scene, walk walk away after the scene was over, take a break while they're changing the camera angles and so forth. But his focus, his ability to when the scene was over to put himself in a in essence, a safe place to stay in that character. He knew exactly what he needed to do, how to go from, in, in this particular scene, from jovial, comedic, and so forth, to a wreck. And um, it was, that was eye-opening to me, to watch him and see how he protected himself in between takes, uh, how he stayed focused and how he delivered uh, with that, that, that to me uh, was a, was a, a eye opening and um, as a younger, younger performer. And um, uh, I, 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 that, that's the only one that just really jumps out in my head. Um, that was, that was great for drama. And I learned a lot about that. But the other person that uh, I absolutely enjoyed every moment around was Tim Allen and uh, Home Improvement. And yeah. uh, Tim, you know, um, uh, a show, a show takes on the personality of the lead performer in the show. Yeah. And Tim brought joy and comedy and fun every day to the set. And, and um, that made our job, my job, uh, e much easier, much more enjoyable. A week, oh, you, you start rehearsals on a Monday, you film the show on a Friday. So um, during that rehearsal process, Tim was key at, at uh, keeping the energy up, keeping the joy up. And the, the, the other thing I want to say about Tim is Tim is a giving comedian, a giving actor in that. And I say that with the meaning of he wants me, you, whoever he's working with, be as funny as you can be, be, be as great as you can be, be hilarious and this is not always the case. And sometimes with comedians, uh, whatever the, the gist is in the comedic world, there's, they're threatened. If you get a laugh, they, and they didn't get a laugh, there's a threatening 
thing there. And that's just wrong. And mm -hmm. Tim knew that. And Tim's Tim's makeup was was you be as good as you can be. And that's part of his confidence as well, because he knew the better you are, the better the show is and the mm -hmm. show, the thing. And uh, and Tim never doubted, you know, you if, if you're hilarious, I'm I'm still going to get my my laughs. I'm still going to get do what I do. And it's just going to make things better, better. And that and that was that was great. And that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I really like uh, Tim's work. Um, we, we still, to this day, you know, rewatch the Santa Claus and that whole uh, kind of a series. He's, he's wonderful. I, yeah. I, really, I really like him. Uh, Tom Hanks, I, I, I'll, just, I'll just stop. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I, I know that we're, we're kind of, uh, we're taking long and I know that I have, you know, 300 more questions for you. So, I'll wrap it up with uh, with this. First of all, the name of the actor who you remind me of with uh, with your beer right now, and kind of the energy and the way that you speak is John Malkovich. Oh. Uh, so that's that's what I saw, and the name finally came. Um, the last question that I wanted to ask you is, if you had one advice uh, to give to your you know fellow actors and uh, those that are you know younger in the business, what advice would that be? Hmm. Um, everybody is an individual and everybody has something special that is unique to them. And uh, if I were to read the words and you were to read the words, the words would be the same, but it's the different individual, what you bring to it that that makes it special. Mm -hmm. And to trust in in yourself, trust in your your view. And uh, if you're looking at. Uh, uh, I, ne I never looked at acting as saying, um, I want to be a star. That was never my thing. I wanted to be a working actor that, that, uh, had multiple opportunities. And I've, and I've been fortunate in that people do see me as comedic and I, and then, okay, you're getting pigeonholed in comedic, but then you do a dramatic role. Um, I, I think the best thing I've ever done is a Grey's Anatomy. Uh, I had a wonderful opportunity to uh, portray a, 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 a firefighter on that that uh, unfortunately passes away at the very, very end. But there's a wonderful arc in that. Now, if you watch that and then you watch Big Bang, you, it's like, well, here's the yin and the yang of this guy. And the advice that I would give uh, is anybody that's ever tried any of this, you got to believe in yourself. You got to trust uh, that your choices are right. Um, get some good training as far as uh, find, a, find a class, find, uh, get some improv, uh, because even if you think you're a dramatic actor, as opposed to, I don't do comedy, I don't do comedy. Improv is not, is not all about comedy. There's so many valuable lessons to learn there. And for myself, the one thing, uh, two things that I will always say is it taught me to trust my choices and listen. Be a good listener. And uh, um, if you choose to uh, try to uh, go to uh, LA or New York or Chicago, understand that it's a business. It's a business. Bring your art to the business. Find out how the business works. Pictures, resumes, uh, uh, acting reels, and so forth. And now everything, everything is like this. It's, it's, 
with this uh, COVID situation, all my auditions are self-tape auditions. I don't like self-tape auditions. I'm not good at self-tape auditions, but that is the nature of the business more right now than ever. And when I started in the business, if you went into an audition, there's the writer, the director, maybe a producer or two, maybe three or four writers, uh, and they're all sitting right there on a couch. And you and and you can get win or lose the job that moment in the room, just talking to people. Hey, how are you? Da 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 da. da. You know, be the be professional. But now it's you, a casting director, and a video camera, and now it's not even a casting director it's you and a video camera and then you submit and and you submit either through your agent or you submit individually and so the business is changing so if i had 100 things to tell the most important thing is be yourself be be professional because it's a professional job it's a job uh, be a pro and uh and um and uh, believe in yourself. I mean, if you're going to take this gamble, if you're going to take this shot, uh, you got to believe in yourself. Casey, uh, this has been a real, real joy. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for sharing uh, your experiences and your wisdom. Um, really, really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. And thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in and to another episode of The Love of Acting. Casey's interview is the reason why we do this. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that you're enjoying this as much as I am. Thank you, everybody.